0: Welcome to Cambridge Stronger, where culture counts and values matter most. I'm your host, Amy Weber, and joining me today is James Wessels, partner and financial advisor at Vision Financial Group. Thanks for joining me, Jim.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: (laughs) Super excited to have the audience hear your story, which is exactly where I like to start my podcast. We'll see exactly what direction you decide to go with it. But at the broadest levels, Tell us your story, and how did you get involved in financial services?
1: So uh, my my dad was a physician growing up, and, uh, and with that, like, he had no interest in finances, and uh, at, uh, he would haul me around everywhere. So at age nine, I started going to some of the meetings. At age 12, he let me, you know, start to at least have a say in the portfolio, and by age 18, I was trading options and and other things. So it was, uh, I, I found it fascinating. I loved, I loved math. And uh, it kind of takes you down that path. So I was good at, you know, like the math and sciences. And I think he probably would have preferred, uh, I, fo- I follow him into medicine. But uh, I, yeah, I caught the bug and ended up uh, undergrading undergrad at the University of Iowa, taking accounting, and I'd had some people, uh, you know, kind of highlight that that would be a good place so that if if nothing else in an economic downturn and things like that, you always needed accountants. And I found it a way to just, uh, as you went through each different stage, uh, accounting, I thought was very good at, you know, just kind of teaching you how to run a business and the way that everything flows. So I ended up the the first couple years out of college, like every good accountant, I did auditing, and it was uh, fun to travel the state of Iowa, but not in kind of a glamorous way. I think I was, I saw like every small business in the in the state, which was at least for me, when you're you know, when you're coming out of college, it gave you so much exposure to all the different ways that capitalism works and all the different ways that people make money and. Uh, you got to see a lot of real people, and it and it forced you to, to to talk to them and to to learn about their businesses. And I, the accounting and the auditing side of it, you know, after the first few months became pretty easy and routine. So I took it upon myself just to learn about all the businesses that you uh, that you saw across the state. Uh, eventually, like auditing, is one of those things that kind of wears you out. And I ended up <laughs> uh, over to Principal Financial Group, and uh, from Principal worked in the pension underwriting area. Uh, worked over in their asset management division, and uh, you know, it covered the oil and gas sector for the most uh, for most of that time period. So I was able to, you know, go out on jackup rigs and semi submersibles and drill ships and. Uh, again, get to talk to uh, a lot of real interesting people, see a lot of you know interesting things in that industry. But uh, came over to private client services, you know, af- after that, and in wealth management, you know, you went from you know worried about basis points to worried about percentage points, and I think people were more concerned about. You know, financial estate and tax planning, maybe more than they were the investment side if you know if the relationships were good and the performance was in the range of what was acceptable. But uh, that's, that's how we ended up getting to here Uh, with that. uh, Yeah, I guess from here I've uh, in addition to that created uh, just Companies that kind of go through and cover those different areas of where clients need, and that's the the other side of our business. So we have a wealth management firm here, as well as a uh, 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 an enterprise, as Cambridge calls it. So, you know, that side of it, we work with other other advisors from around the country and uh, bring them some of the same services that we utilize here.
0: Um. I wanna talk more about the, your business and the structure of the business, but I have to ask. So let's go back to a little bit about where you started. I'm super curious. What uh, what kind of tools does a 12 year old use to contribute to the portfolio management of dad's wealth? Like, I know I, approximately how old you are but I can't in my mind think of, <laughs> were you looking at the Wall Street Journal? What were you doing?
1: Uh, Wall Street journals, S P reports. Uh reports. I would go through and uh, and <laughs> you'll appreciate back then. Like we uh, early on started off with like the columnar tabs, and which <laughs> you would you would draw those things out. Uh, I can remember the first Apple 2E, uh computer, and where we would kind of load the portfolio into it and. Uh, at that point, I mean, now so many of these things are so automated, but at that point, you know, you would look at like the PE of the stock portfolio, you'd start to look at like where the the, the bond ladder was going through and where you had gaps in the bond ladders, but it was uh, very, very simple things. But I, you know, even as I go back to what that was, some of those basics, now there are tools that make it more scalable and automated, but I mean, those are still a lot of the things that that's the way my mind works. It, that's the way it, you know, it, it started out. So, Which is really
0: cool. I have my doubts that any 12-year-old kids do any of that now, probably because they do have the tools, right? They just learn differently. It's fascinating. I, My background also started in more of an accounting environment. So I remember a lot of green ledger paper, and I don't know that anybody knows what that is anymore. <laughs>
1: oh yes that's uh i i've described it like in most of my positions uh that i was in i was always the youngest person and it's still kind of a struggle for me to kind of think that way but as i start describing those things and i can see kind of the head tilt that i get uh i yeah i start to recognize that like i've kind of crossed over that threshold and now i'm in that i'm in the older category
0: (laughs) yeah Oh, well, not when you're in this room with me. We're good. We're, we're just <laughs> <perfect>. good. Yeah. <laughs> so get, let's get back to your career a little bit. So, your career in financial services spans two decades, tax, estate planning, you touched on. Talk about how all that experience helped you build the company and maybe give the listeners a little bit more context around Vision Financial Group, build the company the way that you have, and how that helps clients with their overall financial planning.
1: Sure. So, like over the years, like we had, um, I, I had mentioned being in pension underwriting. So we do have uh, a firm, Vision Business Services, that is really set up for dealing with qualified retirement plans. And, uh, you know, over that time period, when uh, part of what I felt like was the the volume that was coming through principal at that time, it was really kind of when Uh, you were starting to see the uptake of 401k plans go through. And I described some of those experiences of like we, at any one point in a month, like we might be personally responsible for bringing over 50 or more retirement plans in a month. So the the volume that you would see, you would see everything. And at least at that time, it, it was a little bit of the Wild West. So I had some responsibilities where, you know, Plans that were coming over to principal at that point that had to go to go through a compliance program. I saw most of them, um, which means that you saw all the bad stuff that happened. And you know, I I've always thought there's two ways uh, two ways to learn. One way is to uh, to learn this is the way to do everything right, and the other way is the, this is what happens when things go wrong. And uh, after you see what what is wrong, you recognize these are why the rules are in place to do something differently to do to do it right. Um but I mean principal was fast fascinating place uh at at that point especially because I we were starting to build out cross-tested plans so I would work with like the doctor groups. Uh we uh also had an arrangement with Nippon Life, one of the one of the largest insurance companies in the world that most people in the US probably don't don't think about but we white labeled almost everything that came through that way so i um so while i worked on the smaller plans the eclectic kind of doctor plans i also worked on like the toyota motor corporation mitsubishi japan airlines you know all the major uh major plans that were coming through that way and actually that's you know that's where some of those uh some of the people that make up the company here come from is that you know those days Uh, back in either the pension or when I was in the asset management division we have quite a few people from principal that are uh, over here at the firm and have helped you really kind of build the foundation of the firm but after you know after like that the um, qualified retirement plans ended up in the asset management division and we do have an asset management firm and we we directly manage our own individual equities. We do mutual funds and ETFs. We have uh, individual bond por- portfolios that we put together, and there were uh, three three of us that had worked together uh, in in the asset management firm that you know comprise at least that research. But that's partially where, like, we ended up uh, developing like the spreadsheets that we put together, which really helped kind of form the basis of. The internship program that we started—that—that uh, that, uh, there was enough volume that we needed of that as the firm built over the years—that—that that, uh, that created uh, that as a, a necessity, uh, much less scalable, but also meant that we got to work with a lot of young people in in college to to help us with that. But I, uh, you know, I when you look at the asset management side of the firm right now, uh, our network, I think we have three and a half billion in assets, and we've got about 1.4 billion that we're managing directly. I don't see as many people that, you know, in the non-institutional world that are really managing individual equity portfolios. And, you know, I think that, you know, some of what I see is the the risk controls that you put in place that you see at the institutional level. A lot of the, uh, a lot of that gets to where you'll have a quant side of a firm that happens at the institutional side that p- helps with a lot of those risk controls, and you know we can put together a lot of those just in understanding like the the basic mechanics of it that, uh, you know the portfolios put together that. Uh, Yeah, there's a a lot of time that kind of runs into both the research and then we divide out the firm into like the construction of the portfolios and then the execution breaking apart like the research versus the the trading. So
0: how many partners
1: today? Uh, We are adding two partners right now. Uh, So we will have eight partners. And right now we have 76 employees. Uh, and that ratio, that ratio will probably in, increase over time as we broaden the uh, broaden the partnership.
0: And how many financial professionals are you serving inside the enterprise? Seventy-four, I believe. Got it. Um, and then you offer a you, you know big part of your value proposition to those financial professionals is offering a lot of assistance inside the different segments that they may bump into, right? So talk yep. a little bit about you've
1: got the wealth management, you've got tax. Yep. So we have, so we have an accounting and tax firm, which we actually did uh, divide into an accounting firm, which we do like an outsourced CFO program uh, for small business owners. Uh, and that includes bookkeeping as well. And then we have a tax entity that prepares tax returns, both uh, business and personal. Um, we have a financial planning unit that helps with the financial planning, both for like retirees and such, as well as specialized financial planning for uh, for small business owners. We yeah. have a, a risk management part of the firm that uh, goes through uh, insurance, annuities, and uh, well, risk, risk management. <laughs> yeah. um, trying to think through, there's an estate planning side of the firm, and we have an attorney on staff that uh, helps helps through higher level estate planning. And then, as I kind of think through, there's a, we have some elements of like practice management, as well as uh, we do compliance oversight as well, part of you know just being an enterprise. And then uh, outsourced uh, operations and pair planning that we'll do for advisors as well.
0: Yeah, I think you're unique. Um proposition to a financial professional is kind of a all-in-one place. Like they can leverage a lot of different things that you've spent the time to build out as an enterprise, um, which I think can be very attractive to a certain segment of advisors for sure. So congratulations on all that success that you've had there. Um, What was the tipping point? Can you think back to the day? That you said, you know what? I'm we're gonna start our own business. We're gonna build the vision for vision. We're gonna build it. Um, when what was it? What what was the trigger? Um
1: boy, I think there was a, a point of just looking at the, the institutional side of the business where uh you you look and doing doing that in Des Moines, Iowa, at least at the time, there was one firm that you could. You know, manage individual equities in Des Moines, Iowa, and uh, I had looked at going out to. There was a, a firm out in uh, Santa Monica that uh, we were going to go through, uh, <laughs> and it was down down to the end on that one. There was another one in Chicago, and I started talking to Melissa, my wife, and we started talking about what we wanted to do with family and you know where we saw the industry going. Um, and just seeing all of that decided like you know why don't we start to do things this way uh and that involved moving over and this way meant uh you know the concerns at the time were just some of the trends in the institutional side of uh the fee compression that you see from that side and the shift over to uh to index um uh the indexation and things like that that were happening we're really kind of pushing kind of a, uh, an index plus type arrangement for a, a lot of the firms and a much more shift to quantitative uh, management. Uh, as I looked over to where the added value, I, you know, I had done tax returns for people. Uh, over the years, and had built up my own tax business. As I as I moved over to private client, I my first foray into that was over in the wirehouses, and they don't like you to have a tax firm, so I had to shut. I actually had to shut down my tax firm in, in making that shift. Uh, but the vision was really more, you know, people all the time would ask you about taxes and the the investments, and I didn't really at the time call it financial planning and such. But that's, I mean, that's where most of the questions ended up being. So like all of your things that you did after work were most of your your friends and family and such that, you know, that's where you were adding value and it yep did, did your best to help people out.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's just interesting. I think oh, you know, there's just moments in time where we start to think we get that little idea, you know, that turns into the big idea. And as long as you're willing to take some risks um, along the way because we both know being an independent and going out quote unquote on your own whether that be as a group or as an individual does come with its own risks but you know giving it enough thought putting that business plan together and giving it a shot ends up being an extremely calculated and successful opportunity for a lot of us
1: sure actually uh, uh, in in making that shift uh so I had been in the pension side and moved over to the asset management side, but I'd always kept up with uh, a lot of people from the pension side of of principal. So my and my first hire was related to that. I'd always said that my first hire was going to be uh, uh, Amy, who was our she was our first pair planner that we had in fact we didn't even know that we should call it pair planner (laughs) at at the time so yeah at least initially it was just an assistant but uh, she's always been more than an assistant she's been uh, uh, that's the backbone of the business and that's now there's a team that we have of the pair planners that there's there's 10 of them but yeah uh, Yeah, that was certainly a part of the vision.
0: That's great. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's shift and talk about your clients a little bit, the clients that you serve. Are there certain attributes, goals, core values that you look for when you consider taking on a new client? And then talk about once you identify that it's a good fit, how do you onboard them? What's the process look like of working with Jim Wessels?
1: So I... I'm probably a little bit different this way, and we talk about that internally, like uh uh I think in our industry they i think there's kind of a push for find find your niche, and the way that i the way that I end up thinking, I kind of break things into financial estate tax and investment planning, and uh we've gone through and where I've worked with an office like in Louisiana, and they worked with oil workers as well as um, you know, work with small business owners. And there, you know, they uh, people who work for big companies and have benefits packages, you break those apart, you own whatever that is, and that becomes your your niche. Uh, the small business owner, a part of that niche, becomes the qualified retirement plan becomes that the a significant part of their net worth ends up being uh, their business, and the risk management of what happens to to the business owner. You know, like if there's something that happens to the business owner, that's the business. So uh, you have some specialized needs that way, and that's where I I kind of look at people as they come in as. Uh, I like to. It, from the outside looking in, it probably looks like meandering, but uh, I I like to learn learn more about them to break things down into those to those categories, and that helps me to build the depth. But I don't I don't look at like everyone kind of falls into this because I think in the end everyone you know has those those basic needs that they work through, uh, and the rest is just exploring and figuring out how to figure it out and I I think that's maybe what I enjoy the most is like uh, the more complex the client that's uh, that's what you know stimulates the, the the mental activity. I enjoy that
0: solving their problems.
1: Right? Yep. that's
0: where a lot of people get into maybe not just the financial services or wealth management, but really the comprehensive planning um, approach definitely. Lends itself to that, um, and then I decide I want to become a client of yours. What happens next, or you decide you're going to take me? as the case maybe. What happens? Um,
1: so our our foundation is really the uh, uh, the financial planning process. So you end up meeting with our financial planning team to go through that uh, that process. Uh, we'd also be bringing in tax and estate planning documents to see if there's anything that's necessary and what, what we'd begin to start to build out for you know, just tax projections for the year and you know, all the way to where if we were going to be executing returns, loading loading the information into the system, uh, the investment side, we'd you know, probably work with the operations team, start pulling things over and we'd look at you know what the rebalancing was. If uh, you're still working at, you're still working at Cambridge, then we'd be uh, talking about your 401k plan and the benefits and all all those things to try to optimize those, which would, you know, be a component of the financial planning, but also, you know, would kind of feed into like how we're, how we'd be managing the assets.
0: And you use the word we, so do do I as a client um, know from day one that I'm working with a team?
1: Yes, yes. So, uh, we have a diamond service model. There are two advisors and a pair planner that uh, work with all of, all, certainly all of our advisory clients, and then uh, the various um, parts of the firm that are necessary are really our subject matter experts. And then where we need to go deeper into those areas, then we we access them when we need them.
0: What about uh, generational wealth planning? At what point in time would you talk about involving my family members if I had them? How does that work?
1: Fine. I know this way also may not be the most efficient way, but we always look at everyone under the family umbrella. So, you know, when when you're talking to the kids with their first job, they should be opening the Roth IRA, you know, and there's a discussion that goes with that. And, you know, your approach to how you want to kind of pass on what you've learned in, uh, in money management and finances. Um, But that first job that they get the hand and money employee benefits package, and you want to, you know, while you still have like all these habits of in college, that you will never live as cheap as you lived as you did in college. So before, before you take the belt off and start spending everything you earn, you know, you, you at least learn Uh, How to get things started right. And that's where I think our clients were, uh, not all of our clients end up doing that, but uh, but our clients that do do that, uh, their kids get started off on the right foot and that creates less problems for them later on because it's the parents that otherwise are bailing out the kids later when they have the problems.
0: (laughs) What percentage of your clients are open to the idea of bringing their children in on these kinds of discussions? Is it the majority? Is it about and half? Would you say?
1: Um, I'd say, when you say majority, I'd say a little more than half, but not. It's not ninety to hundred percent, right? And if, and if you kind of think about it from the the advisor's side, we're you know we're kind of offering a service and. Most of those kids, they don't really have much to manage. So, you know, we do it more from. Uh, I, I mean, it is from uh, our our motivations are pure in that front. It's like, we don't make much more money uh, right. Right. doing it that way. But I do think that it's a value and it's it's helpful. I think there's a a point that you start to shift whether you're the grandparent, the parent, or the or the kid. But there's a point where you start to look out for that next generation, and that becomes maybe even more important than, you know, managing your own finances, where it started to become more routine at that point.
0: Yeah, and as a firm, I guess, selfishly, the more interaction you can have, the more assurance you may have that they'll stay with vision, potentially, as they inherit the money and the wealth, and they'll kind of understand the strategy and the way that things the, the things that vision offers and what you do for them I have to think that would be an advantage to the company for sure um to your point it's not like you're making a ton more money but it's a retention um goal potentially I would think Yep, and I
1: think uh I think it is a value to the you know to our clients that where that starts with, as well, and we've we've had things go both directions. Whether it's the children that bring in their parents, or whether it's the parents that bring in their children, uh, you know, either either way, we're I mean, we're there to help. There's different needs at different stages of life, and you know, some, yeah, sometimes uh, sometimes people throw you for a loop.
0: I was going to ask you if you had situations where kids bring in their parents. I could see that being more and more frequent, honestly, as, you know, life evolves and then you're the primary client generationally adjusts. Um, We know that there's a lot of potential boomers that are taking care of parents and things like that, Gen Xers, that I, it doesn't surprise me that that's happening on and Mm off. So you mentioned earlier your internship program. Let's talk more about that. We also, as you know, at Cambridge have an internship program. It's become a Pretty important part of us grooming the next generation of talent here. But share with us a little bit about how your program works. How many do you have? Uh, what's the success rate?
1: Taking a step back, I think our our program at least had first started with like all the way back to my my principal days. I'd started uh, serving on the Kraus Fund Advisory Board at the University of Iowa, and with that, we would end up going to. Uh, the University of Iowa help out their finance students with, you know, creation of the, the models that they had in running the student-run investment portfolio there. And uh, uh, I think one of our first interns that we had here uh, was part of their Hawkinson Institute that they groom for. Uh, they they want to make more investment bankers at the University of Iowa. And we actually took that person in as more of a favor to the to the program because he it was early on he was uh, Des Moines based uh the he was he was pretty brilliant and actually now is in investment banking um but initially what we'd we thought was we needed some help in spreadsheets my uh, business partner uh, Jared is very good at IT and had helped to uh, uh, make those spreadsheets more efficient uh, but there was a lot of spreadsheets that we would put together and manipulate and uh, over time it is it is built out to where it's turned into kind of the perfect thing to start out interns on because when interns come in they want to do something they want to You know, gain a skill, it has to have a lot of process built around it because the, you know, kids in college as they come out. uh, They don't want to read a manual but they also want to do something that is actually a a part of the business, and most of the kids that come out of uh, out of our internship program they. uh, They are very good at using spreadsheets. So between their sophomore, junior year, their junior, senior year, if they're doing those things as they go back to complete their junior and senior years at college, they, uh, many will end up coming back, uh, but they're, they're very good at spreadsheets. And that, that's where the program started, because I think where we first started with interns, I think everyone wants to have an intern and, you know, can they take like some of the grunt labor out of something? And that's like, that doesn't turn into like a real good internship because you're constantly trying to figure out like, well, we need some copying done or we need this done. And and I don't know how rewarding that is to to interns and how much it really shows you that part of the firm. But the, the asset management team at our firm, it does interact with other parts of the firm. They get to see the trading, they get to discuss the investments, they get to see the way the spreadsheets work. You, and in, in a way they, they see the internals of our risk management. Um, so there's, there are benefits that they get, uh, they get to it. And are, that has expanded into, as the other parts of the firm have built out, as their processes and workflows built out, you can parcel out the areas that uh, are beneficial to, to interns as they come on board. And we've had interns rotate through some of the other areas of the firm. That has been both helpful to the other areas of the firm, but also uh, has been helpful in creating kind of that next generation of the people that we hire. Um, Yeah, as I, as I say that, like, uh, we have like all these different functional areas of the firm, the different divisions of the firm. And one of the things that, uh, you know, I say a little bit in jest is that, like, it's hard to find, you know, find someone out of college who says like oh my gosh I want to be I want to work in the compliance department and uh and I think what you end up seeing is you kind of work your way through the firm and the uh even as even our new hires that we have we try to have like rotate through the firm if they're not hired for an area specifically and what I I think what you end up finding is after a couple years you start to see the areas of the firm and there's something that perks people's interest and they end up in, in those areas and it's those types of opportunities that hopefully you know in our attract hire train retain you know you want to attract the best talent uh hire them train them and then make sure that you retain them
0: <laughs> for sure um do you have any idea what your conversion rate is to employee i mean how many like on average how many interns would you have in a given year
1: um I don't know. I, th- I, believe at any one point in time, we will have, you know, maybe six to eight interns. Um, you know, conversion rates are dependent on when our needs are, um, you know, but of of the hires that we have, we have had to hire less from the outside, which has been good. You know, it's the labor market is is tight right now and, and has been for several years. But uh, after someone has been an intern for you know a couple of years, as we hire them, the onboarding is so much easier. The ramp up is so much quicker. Um, and I think they they already kind of have a feel for the culture.
0: Yeah, I think you've mentioned some really key points for our listeners. One being that if you're building an internship program to create a roadway to bring top talent into your firm. And for us at Cambridge, the Next Step program is designed to do just that or give back to the industry and inspire them to get into some sort of financial services. Thirdly, um, sometimes we see them go out into our financial professionals offices. They decide after working here for one, two, or three summers that they're interested in suddenly becoming a financial advisor and working inside of an office. So I think all of those things are wins, but if you're gonna get the top talent, to your point, it can't be administrative type tasks that you're giving them. You do need to really give some thought to what how they could contribute to a particular role. I like to tell the story of, you know, in our first couple of years of the Next Step program, I would pull into our parking lot on, you know, first day of the internship. And in our case, because we're a larger company, we might have 25 people, 25 to 35 people showing up on it uh, one day. But This tiny little car would pull in and the doors open and out came four young men at the time. Not that we don't have many women now interning, but they were all dressed in black suits and had their sunglasses on. I felt like I had just been transcended into like a a series or an episode of Men in Black for a minute. But, you know, they're enthusiastic. If you if you give them the right assignments, they can really contribute from day one. And our conversion rate in one way or another, if you count the ones that go into a financial professional's office have been somewhere around 50%. And I think that's a win, you know, it's, a, it's definitely a win for us, definitely worth our time and investment because internship programs are not by any means. Somebody has to supervise them and your point about onboarding them and all of that. But if you get a fair number of them back in at some point in time, I, I think it pays for itself. So it's good to hear that yours is also successful.
1: Yeah. I think the other part that has made it successful is that we're consistent and that we're there. So our our partnerships that we have with both Drake and Iowa, uh, a little bit into Iowa State and Simpson, but uh, we're consistent, we're regular. So the people there know us, they know what to expect. They, um, I think uh, students talk to each other. Yes. <laughs> So, uh, a lot of our interns, I think they they've heard about the program before they arrive.
0: Building a reputation—that's right. That's another really really important fact. Thanks for sharing that. Mm-hmm. So let's shift gears a little bit. I've read you're very active in your community, In 2022 you earned honorable mention in the lifetime achievement category from Invest in Others for your distinguished community service and contribution. Uh, maybe you can tell the audience a little bit about what that means, but congratulations on that honor, and thank you for giving back to your community. Tell us about that experience and and how what you do in the community to have gotten invest in others' attention.
1: Sure, sure. I um, I've been on the the homeless shelter board in in Des Moines, which is a Central Iowa Shelter and Services, since two thousand and three. Um, so we've that's. Now this year will be 20 years that have been on the board. Uh, I initially got on the board, and I was much like a lot of the the younger people that we were just talking about on the internship program. Uh, I was like on the investment committee at United Way, and they formed an Emerging Leaders Investment Committee, and uh, I helped kind of start start that up uh, on their on their investment committee, which was. Which was very interesting, but I think all of those things were more helping gain exposure to like the broader areas of like the the Des Moines area, and you know, almost very similar to my auditing auditing experience. Like, I didn't know what was out there until I I had seen that. Uh, So I uh, and like I'm like I uh, my service and and such. Like I I kind of looked at what I was good at and I. You know, I was a good accountant and things like that. And as you get to the boards, I think, uh, you know, similar to, to what I saw at, like, United Way, like, there was an interest in, like, well, you can go through and see, like, where, you know, the, the troubled finances of, like, all the nonprofits that were out there. So I had a friend who was on the board of the shelter, and uh, at the time, they were... They'd had some turnover in their finance department. And as I came onto the board, we had like, I want to say the first three or four months, we weren't even, we weren't even able to approve the financials on the board. Wow! And, and you know, I, you just roll up your sleeve. We ended up, we had at the time about half of the board ended up quitting. Uh, and you had kind of this, well, you either circle the wagons, roll up your sleeves and get it done, or um you know or you risk like a a nonprofit like that failing and you know we we rolled up our sleeves and the the shelter the first 6 8 years that I was on the board we we would go through this continual cycle of kind of like where where the finances were and uh know think the finances would start to look good and then they would expand the the scope of what they did and then the finances wouldn't look good and it would contract to the core and nonprofits go through those types of cycles but uh eventually uh, i i like to say that i don't i don't make the same mistake twice uh but having seen what those were i think we've you know developed a path for the for the shelter to where uh the the finances were in better shape which uh, ended up leading to the shelter at least when when I first joined the board, we were trying to move to a new shelter. It was the original shelter was a residential shelter that uh, really was, you know, there was kind of a uh, the approach was more duct tape and a hammer to <laughs> to kind of hold it all together and you know ended up working with the city and the county and the and and the state and Putting together an 18 million dollar capital campaign, which we built, you know, a, a, a nice shelter, a community kitchen that goes with it. Um, it, uh, I'm very proud of what has taken place with that, but also really just, you know, like especially in a time like we're we're in, where everything's become so political. Like, I, the shelter is like the one place where it seems like the the political left and the political right work together. And we talk about how if you, uh, you know, if you find what you agree on, you'll you'll find common ground and work together. And if you focus on where you disagree, then you're not going to find anyone to work with. So uh, there's uh, a good common goal, and it's uh, it's a place that, like through the highs and lows of, you know, the the rest of what our position is in life in general, it seems like uh, that's it's a place you can go where you always feel feel good about what you do and you make a difference
0: yeah yeah well that's awesome thanks for giving back congratulations again on your honor from invest in others and thank you for your commitment that is an honorable cause for sure so in wrapping up one of the things i'd like to do is try to make sure the audience understands that we have lives outside of our crazy busy uh, profession that we've chosen here uh, you mentioned earlier your wife, Melissa, maybe talk about your family and then what you do for hobbies and interests. What do you spend your time doing when you're not building the enterprise that you've worked so hard to start up?
1: So uh, so there is my wife, Melissa, and actually she, she works here part time. Uh, so she's also a, a pharmacist and has uh, managed uh, infusion pharmacy for the last 20 years. Uh, you know we do most most everything uh everything together. that's we're working together. I know a lot of people look at that like, "Oh my gosh, I wouldn't wanna work with my wife and i uh you know, and I know here that people look at hierarchical things, and uh, i am a partner here at the firm, but I don't know what it is, but wherever Melissa is, I feel like I'm working for her and, uh, <laughs> and so she tells me where to go, and that's what I do uh. And she understands like all of this, you know, despite being a pharmacist, she, uh, it does feel like, uh, you know, she grew up in a small, you know, working for a small business. Uh, Her parents owned a restaurant in Southeastern Iowa there. And uh, uh, I think she understands what this is because of that. But uh, we do have two kids, uh, Nick and Stephanie. And uh, Nick also works here in the financial planning team. Uh, And, and Stephanie is still finishing up school at Iowa State, but uh, you, you know, you ask what we did outside of here, it, it feels like now that Nick's kind of finished off graduate school, that uh, one of I think one of our hobbies was just following Nick and all the sports that he played. So, <laughs> so over the years, whether it was basketball, baseball, or or track, then it turned into college track, uh, and. It, know wherever he was that's where we were uh and stephanie uh stephanie's our one that i think probably better grounds us so she's the one that kind of keeps keeps everything together she's the one that i uh, i swear she will probably not be in this industry uh she more wants to yeah she's the atypical girl she she's Proud that she was the best welder in the in her program. She That's loves awesome. the <laughs> yep. She loves the engineering, but she also likes to sew dresses and and the thing that we end up doing probably the most together is that uh, uh, she's a pretty fantastic chef. So we uh, cooking together is is a lot of fun. Traveling uh, we uh, for most of the fall. Uh, we are Iowa Hawkeye fans, so we uh, you know we'll end up at at the games and uh, there are times where I would say that we we eat better on a park out at a parking lot in Iowa City than we do <laughs> most evenings during the work week, even
0: though you've got uh, chef skills, yes, I understand,
1: <laughs> yeah, nope, it's it's a lot of fun, and I think that uh, I'm sure you appreciate as well like the the work week is so hectic that. Ah, uh, the parking lot in Iowa City. Usually, the cell phone reception is pretty bad, so you get a break. <laughs> you get a break. It's a it forces you to, yep, talk with the people around you and break bread. And uh, if there's an excuse to eat, drink, and be merry, then uh, you know I, you know, growing up, I was well. My mom's side of the family, they're all sports junkies, uh, and it would crush you when Iowa would lose, but Uh, I think now you kind of look at it as like the, you know, the game experience is much more, you know, much more important and the game is still, it's still a lot of fun to go to the game and all that, but it's uh, more, more fun to see all the people that are there and to, you know, get to, get to hang out with friends and family.
0: Sounds like a very well-rounded life that you lead. So message to listeners is just that there is more to life than just work, work, work. Um, And that's good. Jim, is there anything about the company or yourself that you think I should have asked you that our listeners can get some value from? This has been a great conversation. I really appreciate you sharing yourself with us, but is there anything I've missed that you think is important?
1: No, just over the over the years, and I think you and I have kind of talked about just core, core values and things like that, and I think that uh, over the years, you've kind of figured out that uh, Uh, through traction and other I'm not sure how many people end up using traction but uh, we do use traction at the firm and one of those things was you know you hire and fire to your core values and you know those are very important to us so we we do what we say we do the right thing we have a service mindset we're resourceful problem solvers we work together and collaborate and our reputation matters and most of those things if you kind of break them down uh very much are the culture that uh we have and hope to maintain here that gets it gets harder and harder as you get bigger, which is partially where you know the HR side of the firm of making sure that you uh you keep to those core values is um that is it has been it's been good when when it's worked that way. Mm-hmm.
0: I couldn't agree more. Um I think building core values very early in the life cycle of your business is important because if you start doing what you just described when you're smaller, then in my opinion, it does um, it does become more difficult, but as long as you've got it already embedded in what you do and what you say and, and how you live, um, then it makes it easier to to honor that as you get larger. Um, and so I, I feel a lot of synergy with that statement. I'm glad you brought it up. Very valuable lesson for our listeners. Mm -hmm. So thank you so much for joining me. It's been great. And I look forward to seeing you at our next opportunity in person. And thank you for being a special part of Cambridge Nation. Thank you for tuning in to Cambridge Stronger. I invite you to listen to my podcast episodes where I have candid conversations with genuine, inspirational financial professionals and leaders within this fiercely independent financial services industry. The best of the best, the strongest of the strongest. You can listen to my podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, iHeartRadio, and the Podbean app.